Scripture reading this morning will come from 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 9. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Go ahead and keep your Bibles open to 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 9. That's going to be the basis for our lesson this morning. I want to start by saying that God has always wanted to build a certain building. We're not talking about a building like this one that's made out of wood and uh, you know bricks and, and stone, things like that. No, God wanted to build a spiritual building. That's always been his plan. And so what 1 Peter 2 verses 4 through 9 deals with is how God went about building this spiritual building. And the neat truth of 1 Peter 2 verses 4 through 9 is that you and I can be a part of God's building. That we can be added to and we can become a part of this building that God has always intended to create. If you're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 6. 1 Peter 2 6 is actually a quotation from the Old Testament. It's a quotation of Isaiah 28, verse 16, where God said, Behold, I lay in Zion a cornerstone. You see that? God said 700 years before Jesus came to this earth that he was going to establish a cornerstone, that he was going to lay a cornerstone, and whoever builds upon that stone would never be put to shame. And that's really important to think about what God is saying there. You know, when we think about construction nowadays, what typically happens is you drive north from the church building here, you'll see subdivision after subdivision just being put up as quickly as possible. And what people will do is they'll take concrete and they'll pour foundation after foundation after foundation, and then they just throw up the structure on top of the foundation once it's dry. What God is saying is, in Isaiah 28, 16, and in 1 Peter 2, 6, is that he was going to lay a foundation. And in ancient times, what happened was they built buildings, instead of pouring a foundation of concrete, they built buildings out of stone. And God is saying, I am a stonemason. A stonemason is someone who knows how to cut and shape giant boulders into stones. And what a stonemason would do if he was going to build a building is he would have to pick out first and foremost the cornerstone. 
because everything else in that building had to relate to and fit with the cornerstone. And so if the cornerstone was not perfectly shaped at a 90-degree angle, the rest of the building was going to have funny angles as well. It wasn't going to be structurally sound. And the way the stonemason would go about finding a cornerstone is he would go into a field or into a place where there were a lot of boulders that might potentially serve, and the stonemason would evaluate. And he'd look for just the perfect stone because the stone that he selected was going to determine the kind of building that was built, the shape of the building that was built, the height and the size of the building that was built, the cornerstone was the most important rock, the most important stone in the entire building. And God is saying in 1 Peter 2 verse 6, I'm going to lay a cornerstone in Zion. He's not talking about a literal stone, a literal rock like what we're looking at here. He's talking about Jesus. And so God came to this, God sent Jesus to this world to be a cornerstone, to be that perfect foundation upon which everything else in God's building refers to, is shaped, is built upon. That's the idea of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. God's a stonemason and he wants to build this spiritual building. And listen to the argumentation that Peter makes as he writes to some Christians that were suffering and struggling and going through some difficult times. He wanted them to understand the nature of their foundation and the nature of the building that God has built. And that's what I want you to understand this morning as well. What kind of building has God built? It's not a physical building like this one. It's a spiritual building. And Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. If you're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, I want you to notice this first. As you think about this passage with me, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, that God chose Christ to be the foundation. In other words, God, the stonemason, went out into the field and he looked for just the perfect cornerstone and he found one, and that's the one he chose. And look at what 1 Peter 2, 4 says. It says that we who are Christians, we're to come to Jesus as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Peter is saying that Jesus, the cornerstone that God chose and that's valuable, precious to God, that cornerstone was rejected by men. Now think about this. What's being said in 1 Peter 2 verse 4 is that Jesus is not the cornerstone that most people want to live and build upon. Jesus is not the cornerstone that most people want to base their lives upon. And it's certainly not, he's certainly not the cornerstone that people want to build the church upon. He's rejected by humanity. If you've got your Bibles, let's look at a couple of passages together that talk about this particular idea. Go back in your Bibles to Psalm 118 and look at verses 22 and 23. Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. This idea of Jesus being the cornerstone and the idea that he's the one that God chose, this is found throughout Scripture. And in Psalm 118, beginning in verse 22, the psalmist writes, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. In other words, prophetically speaking, the psalmist is talking about how God's going to lay in Zion a cornerstone 
Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, but the stone that was rejected by the builders is going to become the chief cornerstone. In other words, what you find in Psalm 118 is a messianic passage. It's talking about how Jesus is going to be rejected by people. They're going to beat him and scourge him and put him on a cross. They're going to say, we don't want this man to be king over us. And that rejected stone is going to become the chief cornerstone. That's what the passage is saying in Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. God chose Jesus even though he was rejected by humanity. Look at another passage with me. Look at Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 18. Jesus took this passage that we just read and he applied it to himself in one of his parables. In Luke 20, verses 9 through 18, Jesus says, Luke 20, beginning in verse 9, a certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers, and went to a far country for a long time. Now, at vintage time, Luke 20, verse 10, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit from the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent another servant. They beat him also, treated him shamefully, sent him away empty handed. And again, he sent a third, and they wounded him and also cast him out. And so in, in Luke 20, verse 13, it says, When the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? He decided to send his beloved son. Probably they'll respect my son and they'll keep him. It says in verse 14, but when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves saying, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. And they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And see, Jesus is saying to the Jews, you guys have been beating prophets and you've been murdering prophets for centuries the vine dresser wants some fruit from you and he keeps sending prophets to you and you keep beating them. And so now I, the son, have come to you and you're about to mistreat me and abuse me and murder me as well. And the Jews understood what Jesus was saying. They said, certainly not. That, that's not what we're doing. And then in verse 17 of Luke chapter 20, Jesus said, what is then this is, that, that is written? And he quotes from Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Jesus takes Psalm 118 and says, I am that stone. You're going to reject me, but you've got a choice to make, and so does everybody else. Either you fall upon the stone and be broken, or that stone will crush and grind you to powder. That's your choice. But Jesus is the cornerstone, and there's nobody who can countermand that or change that. He's applying the passage to himself. Look at one more passage with me. Look at Acts chapter 4. As the apostles preached the risen Lord to the Sanhedrin, the very men who had murdered Jesus just a few weeks earlier, the apostles are standing before these rulers who had, who had said, we want Jesus to be crucified. And it wasn't that long ago, just, just a, a few weeks, just a few days earlier. It says in verse 11, verse 10 of Acts chapter 4, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole, talking about the man that they had healed. And then in verse 11, the apostles said, 
This is, talking about Jesus, the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What the apostles preached, what Jesus preached, and what the Old Testament preached was that God was going to establish a stone. He was going to choose that stone to be the chief cornerstone. And how would we know the stone that God chose? The way we would know the stone is because it was the stone that was rejected by the builders, by the Jews. It was the stone that was rejected, put on a cross, crucified. That's the stone that God chose to be the chief cornerstone. 1 Peter 2 verse 4 says that we're coming to Jesus, Christians are, as to a living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious. And you think about some passages that talk about Jesus being our foundation, Jesus being our cornerstone. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11, Paul was talking about building sound, healthy congregations of the Lord's church. And in 1 Corinthians 3.11, he says, No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, Christ Jesus the Lord. So somebody says, what's the foundation of the church of which you're a part? What's the foundation of this building that God decided that he was going to build? What's the foundation of the cornerstone? Jesus Christ is the only foundation. He is the one who is the cornerstone and everything else in the building is built in reference to him. Just like a cornerstone in ancient times always showed what the building was ultimately going to look like. God has chosen Jesus to be the foundation, the cornerstone for the church. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon what rock? The fact that Jesus Christ is the son of God. The fact that he is the stone that the builders rejected upon that rock, upon that confession, he's going to be the cornerstone of the New Testament church. So, What'd you do when you became a Christian? What have you been doing since you became a Christian? What we did when we became Christians is we said, I'm going to come to Jesus Christ and I'm going to build my life on him. I'm going to come to Jesus Christ because even though he was rejected by men, even though people said, we don't want that, that stone to be the foundation of the building. We don't want that stone to, to be the kind of building foundation that, that we want to build. Even though people were saying that, we saw Jesus as being chosen by God and precious. And we come to him as to a living stone. And we say, we want Jesus to be the foundation of our lives. We want him to be the foundation of the New Testament church. He is the church's one foundation because God chose him to be so. If you're still looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, look again at verse 5. The Bible goes on to say that not only has God chosen Jesus to be the chief cornerstone, he's chosen by God and precious, but it says that God is building on Jesus the foundation. He's talking to Christians here, 1 Peter 2, 5, and he's saying, you also as living stones. I'll just stop there for a minute. That phrase living stones, we just read over and maybe don't give a great deal of thought to, but have you ever seen a living stone before? Stones are not living. That's why we feel like it's okay to take out our chisels and hammers and hack those stones to, to pieces and, and, and cut them into the shapes we want them to. They're not alive. 
But what we're saying and what the Bible's saying in 1 Peter 2 verse 4 is that Jesus Christ, that chief cornerstone, he is a living stone. He rose from the dead and he is the foundation upon which other living stones can be built. And now in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, it's saying that you, when you come to Jesus Christ, you become a living stone and you come to him, the living stone, as living stones. And two things, especially in this verse, are significant. Number one, it says that we are a spiritual house and we are under construction. A spiritual house that is under construction. Look at 1 Peter 2, verse 5. As living stones, you are being built up a spiritual house. So God's always wanted to build a building. We call that building the church. Not a building made out of wood and bricks and stone, but a building made out of people. People are the living stones. And what it says in 1 Peter 2 verse 5 is that every time somebody becomes a Christian, they become another living stone in this building that God built. That's amazing to think about. So it's a building that has a foundation, a cornerstone, Jesus, and it's a building that's still under construction. And if you're not a Christian, what we hope and plead for you is that one day you will choose to become a living stone. And when you become a Christian, a lot of things happen to you. You're baptized, you're forgiven of your sins, you become a child of God, but you're also added to this building this church that Jesus died and became the cornerstone of as he was resurrected from the dead. And we are a family, a house, a body built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And we're always adding living stones, living stones to that building. And so we've sung songs, I appreciate Tim leading songs like a common love for each other this morning and how we ought to love each other, but how Jesus is our foundation because that's a picture of what the church is supposed to be. People who love each other, who are built together, who fellowship with one another because of our fellowship and foundation with Jesus Christ. Notice again, as you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, not only is the church pictured as a spiritual house under construction, but it's also pictured, the church, the building of God, the people of God, as a holy priesthood. In the Old Testament, people knew what priesthood was all about. Those were the people that you took your bull or your goat to or your sheep, and, and they would offer that sheep or bull or goat as a sacrifice to God, and that's what the priests were doing. They were constantly offering sacrifices on the altar. And what Peter is saying in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, is that now that we became Christians, we, all of us who are Christians, are priests. And all of us offer sacrifices to God. That's what we do. Because the church is about people being built together as living stones on the foundation, but we're also priesthood. And we offer continually sacrifices of praise to our God. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews 13. You might say, well, what kind of sacrifices do we offer? Because I'm not taking sheep and goats and things like that to God to be sacrificed and to be offered. So what kind of sacrifices do Christians offer? People in the church, what do we offer to God? Look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Therefore by him talking about Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, 
giving thanks through his name. So when we gather like we've done this morning and we come to worship, did you know that your worship is a sacrifice to God? Why should I pay attention to how I'm worshiping and whether I really sincerely am singing the songs and whether I really am paying attention during the prayers and whether I'm really thinking about the body and blood of the Lord during the Lord's Supper? Why should I think about those things? Because my worship that I brought this morning and your worship that you brought this morning is a sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice are you bringing to God? But not only that, if you look at Hebrews 13 verse 16... The Bible also says our good deeds are sacrifices before God. Look at what the passage says, Hebrews 13, 16. Do not forget, Christians, to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, same context as verse 15, God is well pleased. So when we go through our lives and we're doing good because we love Jesus and because he's our foundation and he's our cornerstone and we're doing good to others, those are sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God, the Bible says. We're a holy priesthood and we're continually offering sacrifices. When we worship God, we praise him. When we're doing good in the world, we're offering sacrifices to God. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 says, I charge you, Christians to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So when we become Christians, everything about us, our bodies, our souls, everything about us becomes devoted to God. And we offer everything about ourselves as sacrifices to God. And 1 Peter 2, 5 says that the sacrifices that we offer to God are acceptable to him. Look at the passage. Don't take my word for it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. They are acceptable to him. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Because he's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. He's the one upon whom I'm building my life. And we are building the church He's the one, every time somebody's baptized, we teach them about Jesus, we teach them about what he's done, and we teach them to live a life that conforms to the cornerstone. Why do we do that? Because by doing that, we build the church up, living stones, one on top of the other, next to each other, working together, loving each other. That's what God's vision of this building is. It's a spiritual building made up of living stones, and every stone is a priest offering sacrifices to God. Lots of images, lots of metaphors for us to ponder as we live our lives during the week. But God is building on this foundation. And we plead with people in the world around us to come be a part of this magnificent building that God built. Let's put away all of our human ideas and human creeds and human philosophies. And let's just listen to the words of Jesus, the living stone. And let's build our lives upon those words. That's important, don't you think? If we want to please God. Number three this morning, as you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, the church is one foundation. God chose Jesus to be the cornerstone. God is building on that foundation. That's why we evangelize. That's why we teach people. That's why we try to help other people understand what it means to become a Christian. And then third, if you look at verses 5 through 9, God's foundation makes a unique building. God's foundation, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, makes a unique, a distinctive building. 
You know, there are some buildings that have been built even in our country with cornerstones. And you could go to some of the great places like Washington, D.C., and you can find cornerstones that have been put in place and that have shaped and molded and given influence to the buildings of which they're a part, great government buildings and others. You can go around the world to other countries where buildings are much older than they are in our country, and you can find the cornerstones that were laid six, seven, eight hundred years ago. And you look at the building and you say, that cornerstone was put in place first, and that made a very unique building. You wouldn't mistake this building for any other, and you can't duplicate it. You can't make a, another building exactly like this one because the cornerstone is so unique. Guess what? The church of Jesus Christ is unique. It is distinctive. It is set apart from every other church. And the reason why is because the cornerstone makes it unique. The church that Jesus died and rose to build as the living stone, the foundation, it is distinctive. And there are three things specifically in this passage that make it distinctive. What sets the church that Jesus built apart? Number one, look at verse six. The church that Jesus built is built upon the redemptive work of Christ. We're not trying to save ourselves. We're not trying to bootstrap our way to heaven. We're not trying to say that if we just work hard enough and do enough good, that somehow that's going to earn or merit our salvation before God. No, what we believe, because we trust in Jesus, our living stone foundation, we believe that we can't save ourselves, that only he can do it, and he has to do it for us. We come to him in submissive obedience. We fall upon him. We allow him to dictate our lives and our ways, but we are trusting in Jesus to save us from our sins. Look at verse 6. Again, quoting from Isaiah 28, verse 16. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and whoever believes on him, that's the redemptive work of Christ, will by no means be put to shame. I want you to know this morning that Jesus died for your sins. He paid the price so that you can have a relationship with him. He has done what is necessary, everything that's necessary to cleanse you from your sin. All you have to do is come to him in faith and obedience and trust in the redemptive work of Christ. That's what we believe as a body. That's what we teach. We teach that when we put our trust in Jesus, we'll never be put to shame. We believe in Jesus and his redemptive work. That's what saves us, not we ourselves. Secondly, what's distinctive about the church that Jesus built, that God built? Look at verses 7 and 8. The church that God built respects the authority of Christ. You just made this outline up, John. No, it's right there in the text. Not some cute outline that I just got an idea for somewhere. Nope, this comes right out of the scriptures. Therefore, verse 7... To you who believe, talking to Christians, Jesus is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So guess what? Verse 7 is saying that even today, people keep on rejecting that cornerstone. Back in the first century, those Jews that crucified Jesus, they were rejecting the cornerstone that God had selected. But you and I... Today, if we so choose, we can keep on rejecting. When people say, I don't need God to save me from my sins. Or when they say, I'm not going to respect God's authority on this issue or that matter. I know God's word says this, but I want to do something different. 
we're still rejecting the cornerstone when that's our attitude. Look at verse 8. And Jesus has become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. It says at the end of verse 8, 1 Peter 2, 8, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. What's being said in verse 8 is this. The way that I build upon and put my trust in the living stone, Jesus Christ, is by, by being obedient to his word. If I listen to Jesus' word, if I do what he says, then I will not be put to shame. I'm building my life upon the foundation stone, Jesus Christ. But if I reject his word, if I decide that his word doesn't matter, I know the Bible says that, but if that's my attitude, I'm not going to do what the Bible says. Then I'm not building with the authority of Christ. And I'm also rejecting the chief cornerstone. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18, after his resurrection, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus has all authority. Let's put away everything from a tradition standpoint, from a man-made philosophy standpoint. Let's put away all of that stuff. No matter how highly thought of a religious scholar might be, let's put that away and let's go back to the authority of Christ. Because when a church, when a group of people trust in the redemptive work of Christ and they subject themselves to the authority of Christ in His Word, it always produces a distinctive building. It always produces living stones that are being built up together and are living according to the word of God. Not taking away from, not adding to any of the commandments of God. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2. We need to restore New Testament Christianity in that way. The authority of Christ. And then third, look at verse 9. As you're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, what makes the church distinctive? It trusts in the redemptive work of Christ. It respects the authority of Christ. And then third, it embraces and walks in the character of Christ. The character of Christ. What was Jesus like? What kind of person was he? We read about him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We read about the kind of individual that he was. But then 1 Peter 2 verse 9, Peter, one of his apostles, kind of sums a little bit of that up for us. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9 he says, You Christians are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. What was Jesus like? He was royalty. You're a royal priesthood. It goes on to say a holy nation. What was Jesus like? He was holy in his character and the way that he treated people and the way that he lived before God. His own special people, it goes on to say in verse 9, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What makes the church that belongs to Jesus distinctive? It's built upon him and his redemptive work. It respects his authority. And we embrace and model the character of Christ. Things like holiness and walking in light and proclaiming the praise of the one who called us out of darkness. We're not walking in darkness anymore. We want to walk in the light because of what God has done for us. Why bring all this up? What's Peter's point? He wants Christians 2,000 years ago and today as well. He wants Christians to ask the question, have we really been building on the chief cornerstone that God picked out? Have we really been living 
in a way that shows that we are the building and the priesthood and the temple of God, are we really living up to our calling as New Testament Christians by focusing on the things that this passage teaches us we are? The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you this morning, either you can decide to fall upon Jesus Christ repent of your sin, be baptized for the remission of your sins. You can humble yourself before him and be built into this house that God has built. Or you can reject him and you you can be ground to powder. The Bible says those are our choices. You must do something with Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. You must make a decision in light of the fact that God has ordained. Jesus is the one who can save you from your sins. Nobody else can do that. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to respond to God's grace and God's will. We'd love to have the opportunity to help you do that. Maybe you need to respond and you'd like to ask for prayers. Whatever your need is, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing.